Hello folks, welcome again to another episode of Two Guys Who Happen to Be Pastors. A time where we come together and really explore the lives of your pastor. I am Pastor Matt Heath, joined as always by my good friend and fellow pastor, Glenn Davis. Glenn, how are we doing tonight? Well, I'm drinking a bug juice, so I'm feeling pretty good. Oh man, I'll tell you what, that bug, I mean, I didn't even know they still made it. And for those of you who can't see it, obviously... Um, they are currently still making them in the little jugs. Absolutely. We just uh, we just had youth group. Um, very successful one. The first one where we've had them all here since October. Um, with, you know, disease carrying on and various reasons. We haven't had a chance to be all together. So okay, we had youth in our youth room with our youth kids tonight. There's about 10, 12 of us here and... I thought we had an excellent showing there. Mm-hmm. So I got my bug juice. I got my Purdue Pete hat on. Oh, yeah. Know, oh, yeah. Celebrating the big victory. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about things. You know, I'll tell you what. I mean, I don't know if, we're, if I'm finally coming off the post-turkey dinner high or what the deal is. I'll admit, this week, I put myself in a caloric and carbohydrate-induced coma, almost. Um, there's, there's nothing medically wrong. I just ate way too much turkey, way too much. My my family, my mom and my my sister both have made have made these deviled eggs for years and they are oh, they're so good. They are there are literally ones that you can literally sit there and just keep eating them and keep eating them and keep eating them. They're, you know, they're not too sweet, got a little tang to them, you know, they're not dry by any stretch. I mean, they're delicious. Oh. So, you know, I'm we're feel, I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. Of course, as you may have realized, since Thanksgiving is over at 4 o'clock on, th- on Thanksgiving Day, you know what I had planned in the truck? I had, I had to dust it off. I rocked out, rocked out to Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. That's how you kick off the holiday That's season. That's a tapper. I mean, it is. I mean, you just really got to keep going with that, you know? Well, as Glenn mentioned that this evening, he is wearing his Purdue Pete hat. He is showing his true colors this evening. He may complain about being married into a Purdue family, but I'll tell you what, deep down in the heart of it, he bleeds black and gold like the rest of us. And we turn now to the Purdue Ponderings of Pastor Glenn. I enjoy it when they're good, but let's not get carried away. Um... I don't know that I bleed black and gold, not like not like these folks do. Um, I want to share a story with you this evening. This is absolutely true. Um, my wife's mother's, I believe it was uncle, potentially could have been her father, uh, many years ago, I called her on the telephone. So keeping in mind, this is like the 1970s. Ooh. Calls her on the telephone and says, Anita, I need you to come down here to Elwood. I need you to look at a car with me. She says, okay, so hitches up the wagon and heads down, and she walks up, and he says, oh, good, thank goodness you're here. He said, I want you to look at the interior of this car, and she looks at it, and he says, now I want your honest opinion because it matters. I'm not buying that car until somebody tells me. She says, this guy is telling me that interior is maroon, and if it's red, I ain't buying it. You're kidding. I am not kidding. (laughs) She looked it over. She said, yep, it's maroon. And he bought that car straight cash. (laughs) 
So just know when someone asks you, particularly of Purdue Origins, is it red or not? It matters. My hat's off to my wife's ancestors <laughs> who were so committed to the Purdue traditions and tribes, he would not buy a car with a red interior. That's dedication right there. That is dead. I don't have that kind of crazy. Uh, well, you know. So, uh, with that, I know Matt's going to take his hat off to something. I hear it might be Wikipedia related. Matt, let's who are we taking our hat off to tonight? You know what? I For those of you who don't know me or have never been in my office, um, hopefully you've never been in my office. If you have, I'd like to know how you got in there first. But in my office, I have a, I do a lot of reading. I have a lot of books um, on a variety of subjects. I have books that will tell you how to set the timing to a 1929 Ford. <clears throat> and then I also have books that will tell you about the presidency of Ronald Reagan and uh, everything in between, biblical things, stuff like that. But I also read a lot of articles online uh, because, you know, in the hustle and bustle, I'm usually pretty busy every day. And this one caught me off guard. And it was, an, it was a thing in Iceland. And there was a law that had been on the books since 1615. Nice. So in 1615, there was, uh, at that time, the people of the Basque region were whalers. They were commercial whalers. Um and they actually had shipwrecked in, on a, uh, in Iceland, and they were actually killed by the locals. After which, the magistrate made it law that any Basque person seen in the region should be instantly killed. Now, my hat's not off to the magistrate or the townspeople for doing that. My hat's off to the government for repealing such a heinous law. In 2015. Folks, I'm dedicated to a lot of things. I'm committed to a lot of things. I don't know. Um, so, you mean to tell me that in 1943, if they would have caught a Basque person in their town, they could have legitimately killed them with no legal repercussions. Style. That that's pretty insane. It's pretty insane, and I I guess my hats off to them for their dedication as far as keeping it on the books. But it's one of those old laws. It's like here in Indiana. I think we I think it's in Evansville, Indiana. You are not allowed to walk down the sidewalk with an ice cream cone in your pocket, and it is still on the books. So my hat's off to them for finally realizing that you cannot just go around heinously killing people. But also for the dedication to sticking with that law since 1632. To the people of Iceland, my hat's off are off to you. As well as to the people of the Basque region for <coughs> playing it safe and living through this rough time. And now we go on to Stuff on Glenn's Shelf. As you know, we record the these episodes in Glenn's office. And this week, <clears throat> in 
And each week we take a look at every item. He has tons of things, books, statues, pictures, whatever. And we look at what they, why he has them, what they mean, why he has kept them all these years. Then what do you have for us this week? Mm, everything in here has got meaning. That's why I own it. Um, this week we're going to talk about a statue I purchased at Disney World in Florida. Mm. Oh, let's say about seven, eight years ago. It is the figure, if you've never seen the film, or if you have, from the movie Finding Nemo with the seagulls who are constantly going, mine, 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 mine. And it's three seagulls with signs up that says, mine, mine, mine. And it's funny. Most people laugh at it when they come in. It catches your eye. But I actually bought it for uh, much more sentimental reasons. You see, at the time, I was dealing with a situation in the church I was serving where a lot of people didn't care for the direction I was taking the church in, for better or for worse. I'm not going to go any deeper than that. Sure. My concern became, in my last year, was I making it me versus them? Was I actively participating in that? And I was. And I bought that figure because it caught my eye. And on the way home, I thought, you know, I'm going to put that on my desk. And every time I feel, you know, behind hurt or miscued or misunderstood or whatever the case may be, I'm going to look at that and remember it is not about me. It's not about me. I would rather relate to the little crab in the movie Finding Nemo that walks across and they go, mine, mine, and he grabs whatever it is and goes, whoa, what the? <laughs> because honestly, it's not about me. It's about serving the Lord. It's about doing his will in whatever situation you find yourself in. And this is honestly my prayer for a church. May we always seek his will and his way May we never seek Glenn's will and Glenn's way. I want my ministry, regardless of where it is, regardless of the situation, to serve the Lord for better or for worse, whatever the case may be. And that statue often reminds me, I'll look at it when I'm feeling really down and really turned over and, you know, in a situation where someone said something untruthful, hurtful. And I always remember... Because, let me explain something, guys. For those of you who know me and for those of you who are learning about me, I can take a butt chewing. I grew, You guys have heard a little bit about my dad the first five or six episodes. My, You know, a lot of people say, well, my dad taught me how to change the oil and the tires. And my dad told me how to hold the light and get yelled at. All right? That's basically what we got. I can take a chewing, particularly if I deserve it. I will walk into your office, tell you what I did. I'm not... The lion kind. Maybe a little white lie here and there. I'm not the big lie kind. If I broke, you know, the uh, socket wrench or if I broke the vice grip or whatever it was, I'll own it. Mm-hmm. I did that. But my real Achilles heel, my real kryptonite is when you accuse me of not doing something I did or you tell me something was wrong when that's a very, very subjective understanding of what happened. And I look at that figure and I remember, it's not about me. Can we continue to do ministry despite what happened? Or can't we? Deal with it accordingly. And if you can, let it go. 
that's for me too. Sure. So that's what the uh, seagulls have come to mean over time. So I'm gonna be honest. I did. I just thought you were a fan of Finding Nemo. I'm a big fan of Finding Nemo. <coughs> well, I've got I, some nautical related things in here. I'm more of a swamp guy, actually, myself. I but. can tell that, but. I, d- I dig the ocean. I like whales. Blue whales, probably my favorite animal. It's in a close tie with the uh, Tasmanian devil. Both endangered, both misunderstood. It's kind of kind of my thing. I have a Tasmanian devil. I don't have a blue whale over there. I might have took the Tasmanian devil home. I don't see him. He might be at home, but I got a bat over there. I like bats too. So let's throw it back over to uh, to Matt here. Matt, I believe. Um, it's going to go from the pulpit to the person. He's going to tell you a little bit about himself here and really open up his heart to you and explain, I believe something about clothing styles here. He's going to really open his heart to you guys and explain how much he doesn't understand what some people are doing with the clothes these days. Well, that's to come later, Glenn, on things I don't understand. But for this, it is about... As you may have noticed, you may scroll through Facebook and you see um, church services and things like that, the New Age preachers and things, and they're wearing the ripped skinny jeans, as I've mentioned. I don't quite understand them, but whatever. Looks like you're getting a fight with a badger on the way to church. Pretty much, yeah. But, um, you know, and then on the other opposite end of the uh, spectrum, you have... The pastors who still rock the full suit and tie. I mean, <coughs> the whole bit. Did you see my deal today? I did not. No, I haven't had a chance mm-hmm. to watch your suit. I had a blue theme. I was looking good. Ooh, now. Hang on, hang on. I'll have to, I'll have to tune in. For those of you, Glenn and I watch each other's sermons. Um, kind of give feedback if we're looking for it or things like that. And just in general support of each other. Um, you know, it's kind of nice to know. Kind of keep an eye on where each... Um, where everyone else, you know, where the other person is in their ministry, what they're going for, what their ideals are. <clears throat> and I have to apologize. I have been fighting a little bit of a uh, cough due to cold kind of a situation. Um, <clears throat> I don't know where I got it. I don't know how to get rid of it. All I know is I got to let it wear itself out. But. Um, <clears throat> You know, when I preach, when I first started preaching, I would wear, you know, the very first couple times I did it, I wore a full suit and tie. And uh, it was, and it worked out okay until I got out of the pulpit and took my jacket off. I have a couple of, like, pastel-colored shirts. I have a purple shirt and a blue, couple blue shirts. And to be honest with you, when I took it off, you could, it looked like I'd been waiting in a small pool. I had sweated that much. And spirit. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you. But over time I've kind of like started to whittle it down a little bit. Then I kind of went to more business casual. I went to, you know, a nice colored shirt, khakis, all that fun stuff. And I was that way when I went to Strawn until Halloween. And we had, a, we had a guy come in. He had come a couple times before. Um, but he made a comment, and he said, well, I don't really, you know, wear anything super, you know, I don't wear anything, I don't have any nice clothes or anything like that. 
<coughs> excuse me. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll strike you a deal. If, you know, blue jeans are perfectly fine. If you want to wear them to church, if that's all you have, I would much rather you show up with grease-stained jeans as opposed to you not coming at all. And I said, I'll strike you a deal. You wear jeans, I'll wear jeans. And, um, and that Sunday I did. And from then on, I've pretty much, you know, modeled my attire to being, you know, blue jeans, nice button-down shirt, tie, and a suit jacket. Very, uh, very Alan Grant style. Jurassic Park 3. If you haven't seen the film, classic piece of cinema, let me tell you. But... I had somebody ask me, "Is like, why do you? Why don't you dress up a little bit, or why? You know, why are you wearing jeans all the time?" Well, for one, I'm comfy, and two, it kind of depends on where your church is at. Maybe for for some of us, if you're a pastor listening to this, maybe you can agree or not. I don't know, but I want to be as approachable as I can. To, you know, especially me being at a church for less than, you know, less than a year. I want to, you know, if somebody comes in, they want to visit, they want to see what's going on with that pastor. I want you to kind of come in and say, you know, hey, this guy's okay. And that's, well, that's the reason why we're doing these podcasts. It's to start to kind of chip away at that, you know, that veneer that pastors have. That, you know, we're unapproachable, that we are on another level, that if you come and talk to us, we're immediately going to put you in your place, and we're going to tell you things, everything that you're doing wrong. That's not the case at all. I mean, if that's what you want. Mm. If you're... Um, I'll do it if that's what you want. Well, like, yeah. But, I mean, I typically... I mean, like I say, I and I asked my wife, I, I asked her this morning. I was getting ready, and I had... You know, blue jeans on, my boots. I had a nice shirt on and a uh, my suit jacket. And I asked her, I said, do I look okay? And she said, yeah, why? I like, well, I just want to make sure. And she said, no, you look fine. If anything, that's kind of what people would expect you to look like in the pulpit. And I've kind of hit my stride with, with this. And again, it's partly about comfort, but it's also about, you know, presenting... I guess what my point is, what the pastor looks like, to a degree, should not matter. Um, you know, if a pastor, if a pastor's coming in, and let's say he had a flat tire and he had to change it, and it's been raining all day, and he comes in just dripping, you know, soaking wet, and he gives up and still preaches the word of God. Okay, that's fine. And I've heard, I've heard people I know who literally look at what the pastor is wearing and that's all they get out of the sermon. A pastor wears a tie that's a little bit brighter color than they're used to and that's the only thing they can take away from the service. That's not what, that's not what it's supposed to be about. We put too much emphasis on the material aspect of it that we don't, we're not, Looking at who, what the person behind that, behind those jeans, behind that polo, whatever, <clears throat> whatever they, you know, 
that's kind of the thing about it. And I mean, if you still if you if you're a pastor out there and you want to wear a suit every Sunday, God bless. <coughs> if that's what works for you, that's what works for you. If you're a pastor and <clears throat> you want to rock the skinny jeans and you know the low cut V neck shirt and all this jazz and look like the lead singer to a ska band, that's fine too. What matter? I might giggle. I won't go to that church. I might giggle. Well, these skinny people. Well, yeah. I've obviously never been introduced to a Methodist buffet. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Well, or casseroles galore. I'll tell you what. I mean. Well, that's pretty much any church. I think that if you haven't been to an Indiana church with a potluck afterwards, my golly, you them skinny jeans ain't going to fit after too many of them. You ain't living. Let me tell you, boy. Woo-woo. So, I, I, I just, I hope that if your pastor decides to wear something that's, you know, that he feels, com- he or she feels comfortable in, if they... <clears throat> You know, if maybe they're wearing a tie that, you know, doesn't look, you know, looks kind of out of place. There's, there's a reason why they're wearing it. There's a reason why they have it on them. But the fact of the matter is, you need to stop where you're at right then. Look beyond the suit and listen to what's coming out of his mouth. Glenn, do you have anything on that? I do. I've always been a big proponent of, you know. You should wear, you should wear what you're comfortable in, particularly in the pulpit. You should wear to who you're preaching to. Um, I've taken the suit and tie route over the last you know, year to two years, um, mostly because I'm on a campaign to uh, feel better about me and who I am and. When I dress professionally, I do. Now, right now, I just conducted a youth group. And then Upland High School theater shirt and gray uh, gym shorts. So and Crocs. We got hey, the Crocs hey, going. Rocking so, the Crocs, baby. Um, far be it for me to question, but um, I was taught by an elder generation, a more conservative generation. Um, you know, you work at the school, you work at the church. You should you should try to dress up. Um, I am colorblind, which makes that fun sometimes. Mm. <laughs> um, let, let me let me say this, because um, I dealt with this at a previous appointment that will remain unnamed. Um, I caught a lot of flack about what I wore in a previous, one in particular, previous appointment, and... It was burdensome to me because it really was. Well, the color of your tie doesn't match your shirt. Or, you know, the pants you're wearing don't match your your jacket. Or, you know, what just stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been sent there to change the culture of the church. And the only thing the church was interested in changing was me. And I never appreciated that. It's why I didn't stay there very long. And on top of that... Let me let me just share this, folks. Um, if you're going to church and you feel like someone isn't dressing appropriately, please go home, look at yourself in the mirror, and ask the question, what's my problem? Because, pastor or not, I've heard, I've seen the horror stories 
of people who have been run out of churches. And this was shared by a professor of mine who will remain unnamed. Not because he wanted to. He said we could share the story anywhere we went and wherever we, you know, whoever we told. Um, but I have it on good authority that this is true. That um, he was preaching a sermon one day and a gal walked in the back door and sat on the back pew about midway through the service. And the first thought in his mind was Hooker. She was a very short, very bright colored dress, go-go boots, the whole deal. And at the end of service, here she comes. She walks up to the altar and kneels down and wants prayer. And he wants the women of the church to embrace this lady. Ask the gals if they'll come down. And one of his leaders in his church knelt down next to her and he heard her say, Honey, please go home and wipe the war paint off your face and come back a little more presentable and we'll you take are, care of this. They did not. They did. Oh, my gosh. You have no idea what someone else is going through. You know the major point that the professor took away from that that he told us? Hmm. That very well could have been the nicest thing she owned. Yeah. And he, she was just told by the people of God that that's not good enough. Mind your business. If you like to dress up, God bless you, do. Matthew and I are card-carrying members of the Handsome Men's Club. We love to get gussied up for our gals. But if someone else is either choosing not to or quite literally can't dress up to your standard, ask yourself the question, why do I have a standard? Who am I trying to impress? Because Jesus drove demons out of a guy on a mountain above the Sea of Galilee who was running around naked. All right, I don't recommend it. But I am telling you that things like that happened. And we need to lighten up a little bit. If you want to hold your pastor accountable to that and they walk in knowing that they need to dress up, that's one thing. But if one day he's made an agreement with someone in the congregation that, hey, I'm going to wear jeans. Why don't you come to church? Don't be afraid. Mind your business. Yeah. You don't need to involve yourself in that. That has nothing to do with you. I'm just, I'm, I'm appalled in, you know, 16, 17 years of professional ministry experience. And going back to 36 years of walking in this faith, what people will say, you know, a kid wore a hat in a church one time and the, the older folks lost their minds. Yeah. You have to wear a hat to walk up to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. Get over yourself, okay? Let's, if you have norms in your church, fine. And there, there could be somebody out there going, well, yeah, but that's how we do it in my church. That's fine. Don't get mad when they turn the lights out and nobody's left. Because... Like I said, I was sent to one church to to change their attitude, to change the culture. They spent three years trying to change me. Mm-hmm. Take a look in the mirror. Make sure it's not you before you start throwing arrows at other people. Because I promise you will be humbled. Just like that lady may have, that lady who said that awful thing to that poor girl may never know the damage that she did. But I guarantee you. It's written in the book of life, and I bet Satan jumped all over it. Consider what you're saying and who you're saying it to. That's all. That's what I have to say about that. I agree with you. Yeah, I mean it's 
like I say, I mean, and, it, and we've talked about it on this show, I don't know how many different times, <clears throat> of trying to, again, currently in the congregations, all, and it's not just in my congregation, your congregation, it's in congregations all across this nation. <clears throat> we are, we still have, um, and God bless these people, we still have a good chunk of a congregation who is from this older generation. This older generation where you went to church in a suit and tie. You, you know, you... I wouldn't be surprised if these people hopped on an airplane. They would still probably be wearing a suit and tie and a hat. Because that's just what you did. And that's fine. That's perfectly fine. But the fact of the matter is... And again, like you say, it chases some, it can chase people off, it scare people off, is the sheer judgment <clears throat> that people have, not necessarily, I mean, not necessarily just for the pastor, but the people coming through the door. In my book, if somebody's coming through the door, they just got off a 12-hour shift at, you know, the steel mill down in Rushville, and they're coming in, they want to hear the word of Jesus, the word of God. I don't care. That's fine. Hey. I'm glad to have you, brother. I'm going to shake your hand. I don't care if you got grease on it. More than likely, within a couple hours, mine's going to have grease on it, too, after church. So, I mean, you kind of have to, like Glenn said, you have to, before you place judgment on them, put a little bit on yourself. Take a look at that mirror a little bit harder. Why do I feel that way? Exactly. So, friends, as we, as we close this segment out, just remember, if you come... If you look either one of our sermons up on Facebook, um, because they're both recorded, they're both posted every single week, um, <clears throat> and you see, if you see Glenn wearing a tie that's not that does not, you know, if he if he <clears throat> if he's wearing a red tie with a blue shirt, okay, laugh, it's funny. Yeah, it's, it's funny it's, to me when I find out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just it's well, just. I tried. Yeah. Well. We'll try again next week, I guess. <clears throat> but, I mean, if you watch me and you see me step out from behind the pulpit, and I'm rocking a pair of jeans and a, pol- and a polo shirt and a jacket, and that throws you back, why? I mean, does that is it going to take away from the fact that I've literally spent all week preparing a sermon for you? And maybe, just maybe, that sermon that you're that I'm getting ready to give is the one that's going to touch your heart in a way, or either one of us, any pastor, they're getting ready to give a sermon, and God has put it on their heart because he knew that you were going to be coming through that door. His hope was for you to come and join. And the first thing you do is say, you know, them boots are a little scuffed up. I mean, does he not know? I mean, does he whatever, you know? I got a feeling the enemy's kind of talking to you a little bit louder than I am, than God is. And you got to learn to, you kind of have to kind of walk away from that and just really embrace what's coming out of the mouthpiece, not the way the mouthpiece looks. So we'll step off of our, our soapbox on that. Um, Mine wasn't on a suitcase front. Well, yours was. Mine's a soapbox. I'm not that fancy. You know. You know I'm fancy fancy. Well, you know what. I, well, of course, you've been in this a lot With longer the than... Pete had in the shorts. Yeah, I mean, you are, you are kind of rocking a little bit. You're, I mean, you're, you are comfortable, my friend. 
as John Mulaney said, he was, uh, I think he said he was getting ready to have a massage, said dress, undress to your comfort level. So I put on a nice pair of corduroys and a sweater, and I felt fine. I felt safe. I felt safe. And, I, and I'm that way. I wear jeans 99% of the time. And I wear, you know, either a t-shirt or a button-down shirt or whatever. <clears throat> Jacket, sweatshirt, whatever. And that's my comfort. I mean, I'm, I feel comfy in it. <clears throat> so, moving on from that, we're going to be moving to Random Crap straight off the rack. This is where we where Glenn fills us in on a product that he has seen <coughs> that either A, he can't believe is being manufactured or still manufactured, or B, cannot physically see the reason why it is being manufactured. So Glenn, what do you have for us this week? Well, I want to start with, uh, since we're grabbing stuff off the rack, you know, you talked about being overflowed at Thanksgiving. Well, I'm no different. I go to uh, three separate Thanksgiving deals, and um, each one of them I just feel fatter than the last one. Well, yeah. Um, when I left my uh, mother-in-law's house Thursday night, <coughs> I shared with several people a, uh, a GIF and you can look it up. It's very easy to look up. If you go on your uh, Google machine there and you type in Mo Moves Whale. Mo Moves Whale. Mo from the Simpsons. You will see Mo and two of his friends moving a killer whale across a dark park behind Agent, I believe it's, is it Mulder or Scully? That's the male. Uh, Mulder. So moving a giant whale behind Agent Mulder, who turns around, notices them, and then they try to scurry away. With Mo going, ugh, who thought of, who, uh, see if I can channel a Mo. Ugh, who, who thought a whale could be so heavy? <laughs> that That's what I felt like when Lauren drove me home Thursday night, oh. is what I'm getting at. So uh, I can relate. Uh, there was also a popular one that went around with a... Uh, with a small whale, a beluga whale, I yeah, believe. Yeah, yeah. That said, me being forklifted away from the table after my fourth plate of taters. So. Oh, I saw that. Beautiful stuff. Well, what I oh. want to talk about today, straight off the rack, is... Um, and this is kind of commercial related, but we're not going to die on the commercial hill today. Um, there's a lot of commercials out there about expectations. And... I've discovered over my lifetime that we have some rather unrealistic expectations. My car should never break down because it's a car and it's supposed to run. My refrigerator should make ice cubes. The fact that it doesn't makes me want to take a crowbar to it. <laughs> you know, we have unrealistic expectations mm -hmm. about things. And there have been several commercials I've seen recently where we're, you know, whether it be for, you know, late at night, a dating app. My wife watches television late into the evening. She's a night owl. Sometimes I'll wake up to commercials where if you just swipe right three or four times, you'll meet the man or woman of your dreams. If you are on a dating app at three o'clock in the morning, I hate, I, I mean, I don't want to burst your bubble, but I'm real good at it. You're not gonna find the cream of the crop on there, okay? I'm gonna be it's, honest. I've been in, I've been down that road. It's it's, it's not happening. No, not at three no. o'clock. It's not happening. 
Um, you know, I love the commercial when uh, Jason Momoa comes out with his with his gut and his weak little arms, and that made him look very like he had no hair. Um, Thor in the Last Avengers movie with the pot belly, that one got Lauren real good. My wife's expression was just priceless. <laughs> but that makes me think we have unrealistic expectations. You know, I've seen lots of things on Facebook, on my wife's Twitter, because I don't do the Twitter thing. Um, where people will have caught celebrities and they're like, I didn't know so-and-so had a gut. I didn't know so-and-so looked like this in person. What's going on? They have millions upon millions of dollars budgeted for makeup mm-hmm. on your favorite television show, on your favorite movie. It, it doesn't matter. We have such unrealistic expectations for what people should look like, for how things should act. When your phone doesn't load something right away, I've done this, I'll throw my phone out the window. I shouldn't expect it to do. It's going to space. I shouldn't expect (laughs) it to do everything I want it to do right away, but I do. And I think we as a society have gotten that. And, you know, we're entering the season... When a lot of pastors will be making the move in my denomination, the United Methodist Church, a lot of pastors, probably a quarter of them, I would say, across the globe, will be making moves coming up. And I always remembered as a kid, it was like, we had these expectations. What was our new pastor going to be like? And I got spoiled rotten as a little kid because it was Ella Nichols. Ella Nichols is still a friend of mine. You know, she's she's got... she's. Aged quite well. I've aged quite well. Still a wonderful person. Still a wonderful pastor working in retirement. And I remember the first time we got a new pastor, well, what are they going to be like? Is it going to be a him? Is it going to be a her? And we got a a young male pastor who had never lived on his own. He had lived at a camp that summer. Uh, My mother said he owned two spoons and two forks, and he had this gigantic parsonage to fill with stuff (laughs) that he didn't have. And then the next pastor was Dr. Brian Cooper, still a good friend of mine. Um, you know, we hit it off. We, we still kind of click to this day. Um, his daughters I are considered my goddaughters. There's a special relationship there. Um, you know, when you get a new pastor, you don't really know what you're getting. Sure. But here's what you want. I, I, can, I, I bet I can tell what you want. You ready? You want a heavy set thing, guy. Yeah. You want a tall, short guy. Mm-hmm. You want him to have facial hair, but you know, like not too much facial hair. Very Just much so. The yes. perfect kind of facial hair. Yes. You you want him to be charismatic, but also conservative. Most you want him to be a little progressive, but like also know his Bible. Very much so. You want him to be good with the youth, but also able to go and visit at the old folks' home. Obviously. You want him to be outgoing, but also able to keep to themselves. Well, why not? Do you all think you're all entitled to Captain America? Like, what is this? Look, you're going to get a human being, okay? Uh, I'm just I'm just laying this out because I've, uh, I have a real problem with it, and I've just noticed with marketing today, this is just how it is. We expect perfection. You are not going to get perfection. No. I promise you will not. What you're going to get is a human being who's going to do their best. 
Too many churches today put everything they have on who their pastor is going to be. We're going to get the perfect pastor. And when you don't, you'll act like it's their fault. Yeah. It's not their fault. It's expectations. You are the one who expected them to be this person. They never signed up for that. So, friends, let me encourage you with a little bit of word of advice. Whatever it may be you are pulling off the rack, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to have glitches. It's going to need updates. It's going to learn over time. Whatever it may be, especially your pastor, give them a chance. And you know what? I, I'm going to close this little section, this little diatribe with this thought. This was shared with me when I was a camper at high school camp by Rob Neal, still a pastor up in Columbia City. He said, guys, if you want a better pastor, pray for the one you've got. It's a lot like a professional sports team that can't win games. I'm thinking of a few. I'm not going to mention them. There are some teams that you see, use your imagination, that just never quite get it right. And the coach gets fired. The manager gets fired. The president of operations gets fired. The general manager gets fired. When in reality, it's probably a culture issue. Yeah. It's probably a regional issue. It could be an ownership issue. Getting rid of the person who you decided was qualified to do that job may not be the way to fix things. Sometimes, and it seems to be a theme we're developing, you just have to take a good, long, hard look in the mirror and realize, you know what, that person's trying very hard. What can I do to help? This, if this is, I hear this a lot. If this is truly your church and your pastor is truly temporary, then why aren't you doing that job? Right. Whatever it is they're not doing right, why aren't you doing it? If this is your church and they're going to be gone in two years, shouldn't you be doing that? Pick up the slack a little bit, yeah. So I think we have an expectations problem. I think we have a discipleship problem. But that's part of why I'm here, and that's part of why I think I feel called. <laughs> so... Um, if that day were to come, just know if you're getting me, I'm completely, perfectly imperfect. And I'm going to tick you off at some point. You will tick me off at some point. Obviously, yes. And that's not a bad thing. Make room for that. Mm -hmm. And when you see, because there are glaring holes in my game, when you see there are things I'm not good at, picking out songs, decorating, Phil, pick it up. You know, I made my own bulletins at a church for six months before someone finally said, Honey, do you need help? <laughs> yes. Yes. Please, can you just do them? And there you go. Yeah. So, expectations, folks. We need to work on them because we don't want people to expect it of us. You got to be careful who you expect it from. Absolutely, yes. So, it is now time for what is quickly becoming our most popular segment. And one of America's truly great mystery stories. We've heard it here, folks. Harry is not only irresponsible, Harry may very well be a jerk. And Matt's here to give us the farm report for the week. And it's coming from the second worst farmer in Indiana, Harry. I am now looking at you. He's an out 
But as we know, <clears throat> each week we talk, we discuss. For those of you who don't know, I myself am a farmer. When I'm out of the pulpit, I'm a farmer. I'm an auctioneer, and I'm also a uh, school bus driver for our local uh, school district. Um, but import, but most first and foremost, I grew up on a farm. Um, <clears throat> so it's you know I try to keep up with as much ag news as I can. Um, try to keep tabs with it as much as I can. Um, and this week, um, as I've mentioned in the last couple of episodes, we've kind of kept in the tab, kept tabs on harvest. Uh, <clears throat> harvest is beginning to officially wind down. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, you know, I, I've been on the road the last couple of days. Dad and I went to a sale in Ohio yesterday, and then today we went down to Franklin, Indiana. And um, in the course of that, I, you know, of course, we'll, we all do a little bit of windshield farming. And we look out and we see, you know, who's not done yet, who's still got stuff to do, who's done, whatever. And, uh, you know, basically just kind of, <laughs> kind of not necessarily judge each, each of them, but um, just kind of, you know, look and see, I wonder what's holding them up. I wonder what's kind of keep them uh, going. And, um, but this week we've had some pretty decent weather. It's turned pretty cold here lately. So for those, for the guys who were kind of waiting for the mud to thaw out or mud to freeze up or everything, I think we're starting to hit that stride, luckily. But this week I, I get a magazine every, uh, every month, uh, from a publication. It's called Successful Farming. And it's a, there was an article in there about, um, the article was titled, What's Next? And it was an article that talked about, um, basically it, it discussed farmers, um, the next generation of farmers, uh, people in my age bracket, and you know, the late 20s, early 30s kind of bracket, where we're starting to kind of take over for dad. He's wanting to retire maybe or slow down a little bit and uh, be involved with, as much as we can or take a little bit bigger role. And... The fact of the matter is, um, you know, less and less people, and it's it's been a common it's been a common problem since basically the industrial revolution. Less and less people want to stay on the farm. Um, less and less people want to pick up that torch and keep running with it. And it's beginning it's getting to be harder because, you know, we have certain things we have to worry about. You know, typically when you when you get your own farm. You're dealing with something that you're inheriting because somebody has passed away. So right off of that, you've got inheritance tax. You've got uh, transfer fees, deed, you know, title, uh, title fees, things like that. You have equipment upgrades. Maybe Dad was farming with stuff that was 20, 30 years old, and you need to upgrade everything. You can't just repair it anymore. And all these things start to add up more and more and more. And the fact of the matter is, if a young man out there wants to farm, it's it's almost impossible. It's like, it would literally be like, Glenn, it would be like if you wanted to start a car company in Detroit. It is impossible to do. Well, it was impossible to do, but old Elon had to go to California to do it. Right, in Texas. Mm. He is, isn't he? 
<clears throat> but it's one of those, it's very disheartening to see. Now, I'm not saying that all young farmers are like this. A lot of us, we get, you know, we get an opportunity. We get in, we know, you know, we can work with our local bank. We know our banker because they're the ones who did business with dad. But not everybody's that fortunate. And the, the thing about it is, for like with myself, I have a dad who is, he just turned 66 on Wednesday. He's, you know, he was talking about going and collecting the Social Security check and everything. I'm not even quite, I'll be 30 next year. It's a very surreal thing to kind of keep in the back of your mind thinking, you know, eventually it's going to come on, you know, it's going to come on me. And as a kid, you think, well, when I'm running this, my kids are going to be in high school, if not graduated and all this stuff. And that's when I'm going to, you know, but it's coming up quicker and quicker and quicker, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it definitely does kind of lead you to believe. And, I mean, there's you've, as a young guy, you start looking at all of the things that affect the decision-making that you're eventually going to have to do. Market volatility, equipment prices, um, you know, just general you know, laws and regulations that you have to abide by, um, input costs, things like that. I mean, you start penciling it out. And all of a sudden, that twenty, thirty thousand dollars that you have saved up in the in the bank, that doesn't even pay for your fertilized bill. That doesn't even pay your seed bill. So it it kind of makes you concerned a little bit. So, I guess for this week, for the farm report, I would say to the young guys out there who are listening, who are farmers, or wanting to start farming, get after it, boys. We are all we all have a we all can get a fair shake at it. If you want to put the work into it, by golly, I think you're going to be successful. If you're waiting, if you're waiting to piggyback on somebody or off your dad or whatever, and not willing to put that work in, you're dead in the water before you even start. It's an unfortunate thing, but keep your head up. We're thinking of you. We're praying for you. And I'll tell you what, for the guys out there who just plant crops every year, who's a crop farmer, enjoy your rest. For the guy, livestock guys like me who do both, <sighs> buckle up, buttercup. Cold weather's here, and we got to get to feeding. And now, we turn to a lovely little segment, which we call, What Our Wives Had to Look Forward To. This week... We have an interesting story about Glenn's dad, who we've heard about quite a bit, and a cheerleading squad. Glenn, what in the world was your dad doing involved, being involved with a cheerleading squad? I love this story. <laughs> so, I was in middle school, eighth grade, and um, we had a terrible year that year. I think we were... Two quarterbacks hurt deep. We were on a guy who didn't even know he couldn't even throw the ball, and we were just we were just feeding Manuel Myers, who's a good childhood friend of mine, played football in college, and we were just feeding him, feeding him, feeding him. We were winning games six to nothing, three to nothing, <laughs> just awful. And my father came to every game. Let me say, for those of you who are wondering, and I'm sure some of you could probably tell. I do love my dad. I just get a kick out of him because I see how he is. I know it's coming down the line. 
And Lauren's going to have to deal with this someday. So, um, God bless that woman. It, it, it gets, uh, God bless Donna Davis. Oh, is that my mother. her too? Yes. Um, so, as the story goes, one night in particular, it was raining. I mean, we could not see. Like, I was on a kickoff duty because somebody had gotten hurt. Like, we, just everybody broke everything that year. I was on a kickoff duty. On so we're kicking off, and I kid you not, it was raining so hard, I could not see the second level of blockers on the opposing team. So we're kicking off; they're returning. We cannot see the second line of guys. That's how hard oh, it was raining, and it was also barely warm enough to be raining. Like <laughs> it was miserable, Oof. and. So we had scored. We were up six nothing. I think that game ended six nothing. That's how bad it was. And we go to kick off, and the ball is bouncing through these sheets of rain. It, it goes about thirty yards. I mean, it's just awful. We're all dogpiling trying to get it, and they got it, and we got into our defensive huddle. And I'll never forget our cheerleaders said deuces and left (laughs) not into it and i remember hearing faintly at first they chant two bits four bits six bits a dollar all for the argyles which was our mascot Mm -hmm. stand up and holler yay or uh, argyles (laughs) and i thought wow those cheerleaders are intense hanging out here with this and then i heard it again and it was louder and then we were on fourth down. We had stopped them. They were punting. And now the people are just screaming it. My dad in an I&M, AEP, whichever company, he was an electrician, like apparatus, like overalls and everything, is standing up in front of the our sparse crowd, leading two bits, four bits, <laughs> six bits a dollar, running up and down, just going nuts. Oh. And I've got to tell you, I loved every second of it. Oh, sure, yeah. My, you know, I can understand the grandkids get a little worked up and a little embarrassed. I did from time to time. But, folks, if you have a parent who will come to your 8th grade football game in the pouring, miserable, Noah's Ark-level rains when it's 38 degrees... And he will stand up and lead 15 other devoted parents in a cheer. That's the kind of man I want to be. That's the kind of dad I want to be. And honestly, I don't know that I'm inheriting that gene. Because when I go to games, I get so into it, I don't even say anything. Yeah. I just kind of get, you know, I get into watching the strategy between the two, what they're doing. I've learned a ton about volleyball the last few years between Madison and Aubrey. And... You know, I'm like locked in, just like my mother used to be. The only, and it's a problem for me too. The only sport my mother ever got rowdy with was wrestling. Oh. And I'm not talking mat to mat wrestling. I'm talking Dick the Bruiser, oh. Bobby the Brain Heenan, oh. wrestling. I am the same way. <laughs> I still can watch WrestleMania 13 and just scream at Stone Cold like, he's going to tap out. He's going to, this time, he's going to, never does. No. 
So, uh, modern wrestling's put, unfortunately, a cap on that, but, um, you know, I'll I'll tell you the truth, my, um, you know, my mom was so into wrestling that, um, she, she actually took us to, I don't remember if it was Raw or just a house show, but, uh, you know, she screamed her way through, the Ultimate Warrior came out, I went bananas, Bret Hart, and they were the Hart Foundation at the time, years ago. Brett and the Anvil, mm-hmm. in the mouth of the South, yeah. Jimmy Hart. It's going back. And um, I was little. Yeah. And my mother was so dedicated that she walked with me to the snack bar when The Undertaker came out, which I thought was really big of her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the main event rolled around, and I'm, I'm trying to recall. I think it was the Macho Man, maybe the Hulkster, which makes me think it was probably a house show. Could have been Rowdy Piper. I know they were both towards the end. I was like five years old. You're going to have to cut me a little slack on that. That's been a day or two ago. So what I'm trying to get around to is either way, whether I inherit my mother's or my father's appropriations at a sporting event, um, Lauren's going to have to deal with someone who, if we have children of her own, is going to be insane. (laughs) And I don't want to be, but I know it's rolling down the line. So... My father and my mother left me with the crazy. It's just always a question of when it's going to come out. I keep waiting for that day. I do. Well, it works its way out from time to time. I see it every once in a while. I see a flare of it. Well, we'll get into this another time, but I've had other experiences already with kids at the church playing sports. And, you know, I take a sadistic glee in not only them triumphing over opponents that I don't care for, um, but just individual plays that just really, you know, I, I can get rowdy. Mm-hmm. I found I can get rowdy. So, well, Lauren, it's coming down the line. So, um, around here, uh, we acknowledge that pastoral families are the cement block foundations of our communities. Not only are we providing children to the local sporting teams and to the uh rising of our society but we're also providing gossip to various folks around you're welcome Mm -hmm. and um i don't have kids yet i have cats and i have asa my Mm -hmm. little pup um i found out this week that um lauren's interested in getting a cocker spaniel oh so I'm, i'm interested in that i had one growing up that i absolutely adored um you will not have varmints if no. you have a cocker spaniel, I do know that. I think they were originally bred for like small animal hunting, weren't they? My cocker spaniel Susie, who has two pictures in this room, mm. um, there's no way to say it nicely. She murdered several creatures <laughs> within my eyes view, and I couldn't tell you how proud I was. I mean, we never dealt. My dad has moles in his yard, and he has mole traps that he uses to take care of those moles. And it's funny, the 15 years we had Susie, not one mole. My assumption is there's a mole graveyard they'll find a thousand years from now. (laughs) But, um, so, we've been talking about about that. That's the big talk around our house with how's how's the kids. So, Matt, how is little Lorraine doing? I'll tell you what, Glenn, she's been doing pretty good. Um, You know, obviously I've been telling you about the potty training. That's pretty much... My wife informed me this morning, she's, she said, she is potty trained. I mean, she is, 
Um, well, I don't know, Dad. It's, well, know. it's like, okay, well, I guess I'll... Let's, You'll cry somewhere. It's like, you know what, I'll just... Uh, I'll handle it some way. But uh, this week we actually decorated the tree. Oh, nice. We did it... Um, when did we do that? Uh, it was the night after Thanksgiving, actually. Yes, we were one of those... Apparently, we are weird people who waited until Thanksgiving to decorate. Weirdo. Well, you know, I'm a stickler for tradition, whatnots. You're really weird. Well, yeah. I never claimed to be normal. I told him today, I said, well, whether you like it or not, you're going to get dragged kicking and screaming into the Christmas spirit now. We're past Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, yeah. But um, I had a really sweet moment. The rain, we started digging out. We got the, the tree box out and started and set it all up. And then we started, um, then we uh, get all started getting all the decorations out and everything. And Lorraine started grabbing all the ones that were safe for her. Nothing glass, nothing breakable. And she got to hang those up. And she got such a kick out of that. And then, of course, you know, <clears throat> the last thing to go on the tree is the star of the angel. We, we put a star up. And uh, <coughs> I actually, my wife got a picture of us. Lorraine and I put the star on um, this year together. And it was probably the most surreal dad moment that I have had yet. Because um, this is something that's going to keep going on and on and on and on throughout um, <coughs> her life, my life, whoever. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of, I, we, afterwards, we, uh, kind of, we turned the lights off. We sat there and we watched the movie Elf, classic Christmas film. Classic. I mean, you can't get any better than Will Ferrell. I mean, in, in tights. There's just something about <laughs> it. Um, but I mean, I was sitting there and I literally, and I, I preached on it this morning. I ga- I literally had to take that moment and I gave thanks because of it. Because I've been blessed with a beautiful family and an opportunity like that that really warms my heart. And it's something I'm going to cherish the rest of my life. Speaking of cherishing, we've come to a time where I'm beginning to cherish this a little bit. I want to know what commercials are ticking Glenn off this week. Glenn, what do you have for us on that? i got to know. One of the things that's really bothering me at the moment is the fact that you didn't mention James Conn being a jerk. He is the greatest at being a jerk. He is. He is. James Conn in that film, and who is the other? Bob Newhart? Bob Newhart. How did I forget Bob Newhart? One of the greatest comedians. I mean, stellar cast. I mean, mean, just really didn't. And you know the thing about it? When that movie was released, it was not projected to be... A blockbuster. It was supposed to be like a, a cutesy Christmas movie that, you know, was supposed to, you know, just kind of be a little bit of white noise. And it's grown on, I think that, I think it makes like the top ten lists every single year of Christmas movies. I mean, you got Zoe Deschanel, John Favreau, Peter Dinklage, Ed Asner, Mary Steenburgen. I mean, I could keep going. What a cast. Do you know John Favreau actually directed that movie? I can believe it. I can believe it. So there you go, and and on top of that, the the scene in the mail room. I mean, perfect. Also, a little bit of tidbit. You know the uh, the head elf, not the head elf, 
but the elf who's run, like run is the the foreman of the uh, yeah, the workshop actually played Ralphie in a Christmas story. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean it. it keeps, Talk I, about your million dollar facts. I mean, I I just I found that out a couple of years ago, and every single time it comes on, I nudge my wife and I say, "Hey, look, honey, honey, that's Ralphie. That's Ralphie Parker." <laughs> my wife's not a big fan of a Christmas story. She's weird. She didn't like Christmas Vacation either. So, I get it. You know, it's which we'll get into all of that next week. Actually, I'm kind of bougie. I should the kids say about my Christmas movies. So mm. I mean, I like Vacation. I can do a Christmas story. I mean, it's it's not a must. If I miss it one year, oh, I'm no. all right. But Santa Claus is my big one. So. Oh. Yeah, we yeah. we are we are way off topic here. We I are. Apologize. We are. Um, for those of you who are just sitting on the edge of their seat waiting to hear what is grinding my gears, um, I decided to take it back to the beginning. Um, no one's been pining for this, but I'm sure someone's thinking it out there. Um, how did this start? How did Glenn become such a snob when it comes to commercials? First of all, there will come a turning point in this segment where I will start telling you about commercials I like because I am. A commercial connoisseur, if you will. Oh there are my. commercials I love. There are commercials I despise. And I discovered this about myself going back several years now, probably a good decade. I would have to look up the exact, and I didn't want to see the commercial again, so I didn't look it up. But it started with a commercial from Shell, who is not a sponsor. And if they ever do, I'm not going to get over it. So, I mean, whatever. Um... We'll get uh, McClure or something local to Indiana here to sponsor us, and that'll be enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, It started with a Shell commercial, and in this Shell commercial, there is a vehicle that is really pumping its its throttle down and making loud. It's like a it's like a Mustang or a Charger, you know, something with with a lot of power. Something with a big honking V eight in it. You know, 400 horsepower, 7,000 duck power, whatever the case is. And while they're doing that, the the scientists at Shell who are discovering the best way to burn this stuff in your in your car um, are trying to explain the science behind their new gasoline to you. Now, you can't hear a word they're saying, so I already am irritated. Mm-hmm. Because my father-in-law was a big proponent of Shell Gasoline, as is my wife. So I'm trying to hear, why is Shell Gasoline the best gasoline? Maybe I'll start getting it. When, when I, where I grew up, there were not a lot of Shell stations. There's a lot of McClure's, a lot of Casey's, you know, that kind of stuff. So I remember I couldn't, I, I couldn't hear a word they were saying, cause they, and that was the point. They were grinding out those engines. Like, you know, you can't hear a word they're saying. And finally, it gets this jerk. I'm sorry, fella. um, (laughs) Who's got his goggles on and his his clipboard. And they spent at least $500 on the costume. I mean, he's very believable. And all of a sudden, the engine stops, and he's just screaming at the top of his lungs, and it's the best fuel you'll ever get, or something stupid. Explain nothing. Yeah. And this girl on the end with her clipboard looks down and goes, awkward. 
And that was it. That was the that, end of the commercial. commercial. That was it. And I was like, what, what did, I'm like, look at, what, did I miss something? Like, what? Am I having a stroke or something here? I mean, what's going I, on? There was no way that's what I saw. I thought, I thought I dreamt it. Was I having a conversation with someone about Shell and just really visualized it? Right. Like, I don't really, so, next segment, it comes on again. And it is exactly what I saw. So I determined at that moment that because these people signed on to be paid for that commercial, I was permanently not going to like any of them. And I I just I got in such an irritable mood that my now wife noticed my mood had changed. That's how much of an effect this commercial had on me. And she kind of walked up. She's like, is everything okay? I'm like, ah, the stupid shell, stupid commercial. (laughs) You know, because when I'm really angry or caught off guard, I don't find words quickly. I'm super intelligent, but I will tongue tie. Like uh, today, um, I'll go ahead and give these people credit. Um, today I had an appointment to get blood because apparently Indiana is desperately short of blood and I get blood seven to eight times a year. Usually you got to wait four or five, six weeks between eight weeks, whatever it is. And I drove a half hour to Anderson to get blood and I was running late. I was kind of perturbed. I had been caught behind a truck that had, that was not in a hurry. Yeah. That happens. Mm Mm-hmm. And I pulled in with two minutes to spare, and I hopped up, and my temperature was fine. And I actually almost predicted it. I think I was going for 97.9. I think it was 98.1. I try to predict it. That started when I worked at Aldi back when the world lost its mind. And I figured have some fun with it. And I get on the blood bus, if you will. And I popped out a pulse of 102. Now, I'm worked up. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, we'll let that calm down. I'm sure it'll be fine. Well, she comes back in a few minutes later, and I've filled out the forms. and um, She's asking me about my tattoo. I kid you, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Did you get your tattoo in a parlor? No, sugar, I got it in jail. Like, where do you... I mean, (laughs) you look like a guy who could have served some time in Chino. You never know. I would be murdered in Chino on my first day. Let's not get carried away. Um, to all my friends in Chino, California, I would be dead within the first three hours. I'm not trying to act like I've got cred. But anywho, just and she's talking to me and like, and I'm all. Where else would I get a tattoo? Did you get it in Indiana? Did you get it here? And I'm like, it was more than four months ago. It's fine. Yeah. Well, about that time, I'm starting to get irritated again, and I pumped 101 on the pulse. Now, your pulse, friends, for those of you who don't know, has to be between 50 and 100. I popped 101. They wouldn't let me give blood. You're kidding me. So, on top of the fact I've been thinking about this awkward commercial all day that I had to talk about, I drove a half hour and wasted my time. Um, so, yeah, not, not super, you know... I hope there's not a lot of violence on, you know, the Dutton Ranch tonight. Because I might just throw a plate. I'm going to get fired up. So, um, no. So, that's kind of where it all started. Where I realized, 
commercials have a powerful effect on me because I, I guess because I, I do know that I have an, a higher IQ. I, I am a, as I mentioned in late eighties, early nineties wrestling fan stuff has to make sense to me mm-hmm. or it bothers me. <laughs> I saw, I learned nothing from the commercial about shell gasoline. Uh, all I know is that that jerk was being loud when the cars, like that's never happened to any of us. You're standing at the airport and there's a jet taking off right outside the window and you're like, oh yeah, well, so we're going to go down a minute. You know, it's like, it takes off, you get louder. What, can any, email me and tell me what the point of that commercial was. I want you to go look it up. The Shell Awkward commercial. I'm sure it's not hard to find. We will watch it probably right after we leave here because I've got to see this stupid thing. I mean, I'm trying not to. <laughs> Shell's probably just never going to be a sponsor, I guess. I don't. Um, it's all right. I mean, we've got an in at a few other places. But, I mean, that's that's where it all started. I don't feel like I'm asking for much. It needs to make sense. And I need to understand why I need that product. That's why I love the products produced by Flex Seal and the products produced by the Tech Company. Tech glasses, Tech hats, Tech windshield wipers, Tech whatever. Because they're telling me, not only will this do what you need it to do, it does it with attitude. And I'm like, I want those things. <laughs> and Flex Seal, you can patch up a boat. Now, you really can't do this, I've found out since. I'm not trying to down talk flex seal, but I've heard rumors. This is not completely accurate. Um, Mike Ryan of the Dan Levitar show, though flex seal is sponsoring Reed Timmer, my favorite storm chaser now. So, um, I don't know that you can flex seal a boat and just put it right out on a pond. So, um, but those commercials, Hey, you spackle this stuff on something and it won't leak anymore. That's what I'm looking for. Okay, I want to know what it does. Does it do it with attitude? If the answer to those two questions is yes, I will buy your product. I I, I don't I don't think that's that hard. It's not. You're not asking too much. I don't think. Like I said, I'll get around to talking about some of the ones I like. Domino's Pizza does really good commercials. There there are some folks who know how to do it. Mm-hmm. There are clearly some folks who don't. And I apologize to everyone out there for being a little too bougie. About my commercials, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into something. I I won't take long with this. Um, in in our uh, discussion of passages, you really shouldn't let your liturgist read. Um, I made the mistake several years ago of going out of town and not looking at the lectionary, which I do use. It's an ecumenical <laughs> calendar put together by several denominations that lay out scriptures for the coming year. And I do use it from time to time. One, one time I left Psalm 137 for the liturgist to read. It wasn't being preached on. It was just to be read. And it's a very complicated Psalm that was likely written in, in captivity in Babylon by Jewish writers and it has some very harsh language in it. The last passage passage in it implies that babies will be bashed against rocks. It's very uncomfortable. I won't ever do that again. I do preach on the subject because it is in the Bible. Therefore, I consider it relevant. 
And it does have a message to it. It does. But you got to put on, you know, your grown-up pants oh, sure, and understand yeah. that it was written 2,500 years ago. Mm-hmm. And you think things were different in the 1860s. <laughs> Try the 500s B.C. All right, there were some different things going on. So um, be careful about the Psalms, I think, would be a, a good lesson that you leave for people to read when you go out of town. So um, enough out of me. I feel like a windbag right now. Um, Matt's going to talk to us about hairstyles. Well, I'll tell you, this is, as Glenn has commercials that he doesn't, you know, that irritate him, there are things that are going on right now that I just don't understand. I don't understand this. Are they bringing back the flock of seagulls haircut? I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. I'm kind of looking forward to it if it does. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Can you imagine walking through the halls of Eastern Hancock, five or six flock of seagulls walk by? I know most of you listening to us were born in the 70s and 80s. You know you, what I'm you rock, about. You rock, I mean, more than likely, either your parents or you yourself rocked that haircut. But, yeah, wet my throat a little bit here. So, one thing that I have seen, and this is, it's kind of come around due to, as much as I hate to admit it, and I we try not to mention it as much as we can, as little as we can, but... Inevitably, this is the reason why I don't understand it. We are talking about hairstyles today. Now, as I mentioned, as Glenn and I have both mentioned, we both work at a uh, public school corporation. And so we work with the youth. And I work with the youth a lot outside of that. I work with them with the 4-H and FFA clubs and chapters. And uh, there's something I just, I don't, during quarantine, there was a trend of these quarantine haircuts. It literally, so because people, I mean, you couldn't go to the barbershop, so mom and dad were going in the junk drawer and getting the orange-handled scissors and cutting Junior's hair. It was cute when you couldn't go anywhere. You'd see it on Facebook and be like, oh, yeah, that looks that looks nice, Johnny. Inside you're thinking, dear Lord, what is that kid wearing? I'm going to put that on Facebook. So, but it's it's continued, and it's beginning to morph into something that, friends, I truly felt that this went out with went out with jean jackets, hypercolor shirts, and <clears throat> acid wash jeans. The mullet, friends, the mullet died in 1994. Where it should have stayed. However, it has come to my attention that somebody, somewhere, decided they were looking through their Uncle Fred's photo albums and saw that Uncle Fred rocked that mullet at PCB in 1993 or 1989. They were both. It could have been both. It probably Uncle was Fred both. Didn't grow out of it uh, Uncle Uncle Front. No, no, no. Uncle Fred was still rocking that thing. I kind of think when, uh, whenever Britney Spears re- released her first song, he was still rocking the mullet. 
I think Uncle Fred might be excited that it's coming back. He probably is. I don't know. If you have an Uncle Fred out there and he's excited about the mullet, you might have a conversation with him after this. But I don't under... The mullet has come back. And I have I had a couple friends of mine. Uh, they were actually former students who ended up becoming ver, um, good friends of mine. And uh, <clears throat> they... For a time, they were rocking the mullet. And I saw him, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? What's with, the, what's with this mullet? What's with this? You like it, don't you? No. No, I don't. I, I didn't I didn't like it when it was fresh. I remember seeing people as a kid with that thing, and I'm like, oh. And my mom would say, my mom, I had an uncle who rocked a mullet. Matter of fact, he still rocks long hair. He thinks it's 1986, and ACDC's getting ready to come out with a new album. Well, I mean, you can't knock that ACDC might come out with a new album. No, but it I mean... It ain't going to sound like 1986. No, it ain't going to sound like 86. It's going to sound like they are 86. But I don't I don't understand the mullet. I don't... It's this whole thing. Or long... I mean, I guess long hair in general. It's becoming, it's becoming the trend. I can remember, I mean... You used to kind of get chewed out a little bit if you had a little bit longer hair. If your hair is a little bit bushy out of the... You know... Around in the rural areas, a lot of guys wear ball caps. That's just what you do. And if your hair was poking out the sides of it, you know, you'd always get, hey, bud, you getting ready to take off or something? You afraid you're going to fall out? You need something to fly? Or what's going on here? That might have just been me. I don't know. Um, but my dad and my mom, my mom loved my hair because it gets curly when it gets long. But my dad, he hated me having long hair. He always did. And as I've gotten older, I've embraced some different hairstyles. I kind of let it grow a little bit longer now. In the summer, I keep it short. But as Glenn, as you can see, I mean, it's it's a little bit longer yeah, right a now. A little, little bit of a wave to it, you know. And I'm due to go get to go to the barber and have it trimmed up on the sides and kind of rock the Ronald Reagan look for the winter. But not a mullet. Not the mullet. And friends, if you're out there and you're wearing a mullet... I encourage you, interact with us on our Facebook page, Two Guys That Happen To Be Pastors. Type it in your search bar to come right up. And interact with us and give us your reasoning behind the mullet. If it's because it defines who you are and everything, that's great. But what about the other 189,000 guys who are wearing the exact same haircut? And again, we're not trying to be judgmental. We just don't understand it. And we encourage you to explain it to us, or at least to me, so I can understand it. But I'll tell you this, even though you do under you do explain it, doesn't mean I'm going to understand it. Sorry. So now we move on to things that we do understand. The other news that's going on at Eastern Hancock, as we have mentioned, we both work there. Um, and, of course, we also want to highlight the things around that don't necessarily get the press time. They don't get the front page news articles. You know, of course, you know, you have your basketball teams, you have your football teams and things like that, the things that, you know, generate ink. But what about the goings-on, the inner workings of the school, the things that truly um, highlight the character and the, um, the preparedness that this younger generation has coming up through the ranks and... Kind of lets us know that you know what I th- I think I I think 
this I think we'll be okay for a little bit. I don't know. Glenn, what do you have for us on that this week? Well, I was super impressed. Um, I've been subbing the last uh, couple weeks at Eastern, and while there, a uh, student uh, broke broke a finger playing kickball. Ooh. And um, I was really impressed how his classmates picked him up, helped him write stuff, helped him type stuff, helped him carry stuff. You know, there's a lot of compassion in these kids, and... I'm just getting tired of seeing people just beat it out of them with the hate and the ridiculousness. And, you know, these kids are born innocent. They're born, you know, with respect and they're born helpful. But they become what we feed them. Sure. So always be careful because kids are watching. And it did make me feel better that there is some real love and compassion walk in the hallways at Eastern Hancock and I'm sure many other schools as well and we need to feed we need to feed that we need to go out of our way to make sure that those those kids know we see it mm-hmm. and that we respect it because the all the attention they're seeing right now is on hateful stuff and that's getting all the attention right now mm-hmm. So, be careful with your let's go Brandons. Be careful with your blankety-blank Trumps. Be careful with your bigotry. Be careful with your prejudices. This goes for everybody. We all have them. Mm -hmm. Because there's hope in this world. And I'd really like to see us stop snuffing it out. We'll, we'll take it from there, and um, I'll go ahead and dive into what's in my pocket. You know, I'm excited with Advent coming around. Um, Advent has a lot of familiar passages that you can give a new spin to. And, you know, today we talked about the title of the sermon was What's So Scary About the End of the World? And reminding people that, you know, at the end of the world, Jesus comes back. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we forget that, like, oh, no, it's not supposed, like, it's only supposed to scare people who don't have faith. Like, if you have faith, you're supposed to perk up and be like, hey, could Jesus be coming back here? That's exciting. You know, wanting to save as many as you can, have the urgency of those folks that wouldn't get out of line at that burning JCPenney we talked about last week. So... We talked about that today. I'm excited because the youth group tonight, the basement kids, seemed open to doing some skits that I'll keep I'll keep in my pocket because mm-hmm. I'd really like for you to watch that service. It'll be the 19th, or maybe even come to it. You're more than welcome to come to our churches anytime you want. Um, I'm really wanting this Advent season to be something people remember, something special, because as uh, Mark Smoot, one of my members who does kind of our warm-up in the morning, said, you know, a year without a Christmas, he and his wife had COVID over Christmas last year. They were trying to avoid it, and it was such a letdown. They w- couldn't have the grandkids there. It was such a mess. You know, through, through choked up in tears, he said, you know, we have forgotten how special this season is. Mm-hmm. And we should embrace that. And I'm hoping to do that. So what you got on the docket or in your pocket, Pastor Matt? 
Well, I'll tell you. I mean, I this is my first Christmas season as the guy who is driving the bus. Um, so uh, our church also uh, observes Advent as well. Goes through the Advent uh, wreath, the or the the candle wreath, and um, you know each week, you know we we kind of look at the the readings and things with it and. Um, next week, um, I begin to kind of start to dive into the beginning of this Chris of the Christmas story of looking at, you know, the <clears throat> the immaculate conception of of Jesus and, you know, the, the feelings that we have that you know we we always we hear the story every single year. Well, I mean, the beginning of it, we hear it every single time, and you know, exam starting to examine. You know, not necessarily because sometimes we don't necessarily, we always focus on Mary, but you got to look at what's going on with Joseph. I mean, what's going on with, I mean, this is a guy, he was, you know, engaged to be married to Mary, and all of a sudden she comes to him and says, hey, I know we're supposed to get married, but, uh, well, surprise, daddy, I'm going to be, you're going to be, I'm going to be a mom. And just looking at all of the the elements that go on with that and to look at our own lives and see, you know, kind of wonder about the doubt that we have and and to begin to kind of look, especially this time of year, you know, we, we question, we can kind of question ourselves and start to look back at the year that we've had and say, you know, did I do enough? Did I do enough with this? Do enough with that? Because... You know, the clock's ticking on this year. We got an expiration date on it. And to really embrace the idea that <coughs> this is a season where we remember, you know, where we you really try to remember why we celebrate it, why we, you know, why it's called Christmas to begin with. And you study those aspects of it. And it's kind of a beginning of like a, a little series for me. Um... I always said I wouldn't like. I didn't want to do series, and uh, and to a point I don't. But I I I like. I'm writing. This is one I'm. I have chosen to write myself, and kind of look at, at all the elements to it, and to really wrap it up to at the end of it with our Christmas Eve service, which I'm very excited about. The church I am sir I am at now. Um, they actually didn't do a Christmas Eve service, and I and I brought it up, and I I asked, I said, "Well, we don't do one," and I point blank asked, "Why?" I don't know. Well, could we have one? Don't say why not. So, needless to say, I have kind of <coughs> I've put my name on the line a little bit here, but uh, it's been excited. It's it, I'm excited for it, and I'm really looking forward to. Diving into the elements of the store of the Christmas story that we really, you know, we hear we hear the the high points. The reason, you know, um, <clears throat> what we see on the on the Christmas cards and things like that. But really looking at the extra elements to it, what was going on at the time, what was, you know, the feelings that Joseph had, the feelings that Mary had. Um, the feelings of the three wise men who decided to go and follow and, and you know, look for this, um, this child. 
and to really kind of look at all these elements and how they all lead to this one moment that is the foundation of our faith. And, uh, you know, try and, and, you know, of course, also still embracing the, the ideals, the you know, the, the themes of the season, of the holiday season, not just be harping on it and things like that. Um, because I've, uh, unfortunately, I've been in, I've been through church services where you don't really look at the elements of the season. You look at, you know, uh, I'll be honest, I sat through one series that was probably the most dark and drab thing that I have ever heard. Did not feel like Christmas at all. Um, and that is the last thing in the world I want I want to do. So that's what's in my pocket. Uh, you know, get, gearing up for Advent, starting to ride it a little bit, and um, get excited for it. I love this is my time of year. I love Christmas. I'm I am uh, <clears throat> I am the son of a woman who could affectionately be referred to as Mrs. Claus. I know Lauren tries to chase that title and chases it very well. Um, but, uh, you know, I, the, it come, Christmas has always had a very, very special place in my heart and always will. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about some of the other things I've done in the past with it. Um, you might find it a little bit amusing. I don't know. So for this week, but we're going to wrap it up here tonight, folks. We thank you for tuning in with us. And again, we encourage you, every time you listen to this, think of your pastor not only as the, guy, as the man who is in charge of your spiritual leadership and to be feeding you spiritually, but also look at him as a friend. Look at him as a, just a person who has his own struggles, has his own vices, has things that he himself don't, doesn't necessarily understand. And remember that. Remember that he is just a man. He is just a woman. He is just a person. And always just remember that. And they are approachable. You may not think so, but they are. And I encourage each of you to go into that time and find find out a little bit more about him. You know, I there's a quote, and I've said it, I used it in a sermon a couple weeks ago, and I screw it up every single time. A stranger is just a friend you haven't met yet. And that's the same case for your pastors as well. So, Glenn, I believe you have our sign-off this week. I do. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. Live his countenance to you and give you peace. Remember, he's always with you. He's always listening. Speak up, reach out. He's waiting to hear. He's never far. He's knocking, answer the door. Jesus wants to know you. Jesus already loves you. He loved you before you ever knew you needed him to. So allow him to give you peace and to show you the grace he's already had. In Jesus' name, we sign off now with good night, Lindy and Kesson. Good morning, Vladivostok, where the time 
It's 12.36 a.m. Good night, everybody.